0: welcome 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 back to week 18 of classic city crime as we continue our long but thorough journey of justice for tara and her family now before we go any further into this episode i wanted to take a moment to recenter on tara and who she was you know when i started this podcast that's what i wanted for it to be tara centered and after all she is the reason we're all here and why we've built this community together we did that really well in the beginning but I think we all have for good reason of course gotten caught up in the who done it and the theories that we forget we are not only speaking about a victim here but we're speaking about someone's child someone's sister and many of our listeners' friends. If you haven't seen Miss Virginia's letter to all of you, be sure to find it on our Facebook, or if you're on our email list, it should be in your inbox. I want to say before I move on to please hang on for this episode, because in the end, we're reviewing the highly anticipated phone records of Tara Louise Baker. I recently uncovered a memorial that was held at the University of Georgia School of Law a couple of months after Tara's death, where one of Tara's roommates, Ashley, who you heard from in prior episodes, really spoke to who Tara was and how her death not only impacted her, but those around her. I want you to listen in and take a moment to remember Tara Louise Baker, gone far too soon. And I want you to remember that her killer is still out there, still walking free, perhaps listening right now. Ashley's words are full of emotion as she remembers her friend and the tragedy that occurred in her home in 2001. Now, I will say, I have decided to clip this down just a bit, so it's not to keep you here all night.
1: <laughs> as many of you know, uh, would held a special place in Tara's heart. Once you were her friend, it matters yet seen you for a weekend or a year. <laughs> Once she saw you again, she'll act like it was the happiest moment in her whole life. <laughs> We were roommates in Georgia College and grew to be extremely close friends. We had little spats, like girls do, I guess, and we'd just walk off, and then after a few minutes we'd come back and just say, hey, let's go run an errand or just start gossiping about little things that girls do. I don't know if we did this because we both knew we were sorry or if we are both just too hard-headed to say I'm sorry. First, we both knew it, so I guess that's all that mattered. You've all heard that it was Tara's dream to become a lawyer. I remember one time going to a Chinese restaurant and after getting your meal, you get the traditional fortune cookie. Tara started laughing when she opened up her cookie and her fortune never read, you make a great lawyer. But she was so excited about this fortune that she put it on her bulletin board all throughout her undergrad years. And then later on, it went into her scrapbook. She just knew that becoming a lawyer was her fate in life. When we moved to Athens, we didn't have as much time to, to sit and talk like we used to, but we always set aside a night or a weekend just to catch up on old times. On many of these occasions, we'd watch an old movie or a Disney classic. We'd reminisce about our shorty days, or talk about old friends, or just find out what's going on in each other's life. Needless to say, our Picking movies did not attract a large crowd. Can't tell you how many times I watched knobs and Broomsticks or My Fair Lady. If you ever spoke with Tara for more than five minutes, the conversation would usually focus on her family or, or her boyfriend, Chris. Tara was definitely different from most girls. She truly cared about how people felt. She would first think about an action and how this action would affect a person and then try to carry out in the most positive way. It didn't matter if she liked the person or not. If anyone ever asked her why she would do this, she'd just simply say she was brought up that way. But then again, there were not too many people that Terry did not like. She loved people and being around people. She was so excited about starting law school. Every day, she'll come home and tell me about all the different people she had met, her professors, and anything that had happened that day. I remember when she decided to run for office. Even though she didn't win, she said many times how so much fun she had just talking to everybody. I think she did partly partly because it gave her an excuse just to talk. <laughs> she liked meeting people. Also didn't mind because I had about a million brownies floating around my apartment that night. She was a vegetarian and we liked to cook together, like since we lived right there together. And so our dishes rarely had meat in them, but she'd cheat every once in a while. We would uh, go to Crystals and she'd get two Crystals and she'll cover it with ketchup, and i, I was was, tell her, Tara, that's, that's cheating. You're not a vegetarian, that's beef you're eating. And she would just simply say, no, no, it's all right. With enough ketchup, you don't taste it, so it doesn't count. <laughs> you can do that. Tara was truly a special person. She was a dear friend to me and someone I could lean on in any time of need. Special friendships teach you lifetime lessons, things you must build upon to have a solid emotional foundation. I feel that it's important to accept the lesson, love the person, and put what you have learned to use in other relationships and areas of your life. It has been said that love is blind, but friendship is clairvoyant. Tara and I had a friendship that epitomized the essence of the word friend. We changed flat tires, roommates, and even boyfriends in the course of our time together. We supported each other through a few sad times, but even more wonderful times. There are very few pictures in my scrapbook that do not include Tara somehow. Tara would be thrilled to know that so many people are expressing how much they care about her today, all of whom she would call her friends. I thank God that he gave her to us for this short period of time. My friend Tara Baker will always be remembered.
0: So while there were some classmates who also spoke, I want you to hear from someone else who got to see Tara in a professional setting and got to see just how dedicated she was to the law and her studies of it. She is the attorney for whom Tara worked for in the real estate department at Fortson, Bentley, and Griffin. With all we've heard about the firm and the people who worked there, I found her memories to be so full of love for a coworker they all lost far too soon.
2: This past week, I was thinking about what I wanted to say this afternoon, and I came across a quotation in an old newsletter that I think precisely describes what I want to say about Tara Baker. It's a quote from Leo Tolstoy. It says, One can live magnificently in this world if one knows how to work and how to love. In my observations of Tara over the time that I knew her, I believe that she did live magnificently, if too short a life because she knew how to do both of these, to work and to love and to do them well. She was interviewing for the position of legal assistant in our real estate department of our firm. And I have to admit, I was a little bit skeptical about her plans to attend law school. You see, it wasn't the first time that I'd sat across the table from a bright young college student who talked about their desire to go to law school and to work in a law firm and figure out what real lawyers did before, before going to school. It was obvious that Tara had worked hard to get to that point. She had an outstanding resume, she had a strong grade point average, and she was poised and articulate. But I thought to myself, well, we'll see about law school. Mm -hmm. I've heard this before. But what I didn't know about Tara Baker was that she definitely would attend law school and not just talk about it. Going to law school was a part of her life's plan for many years, and she knew how to work hard to achieve that goal. I learned over the year and a half that Tara worked in our office that she lived that way. She didn't talk a lot about what she was going to do, she just did it in her quiet, unassuming way. She wanted to become familiar with our community and save some money to help her with the expense of law school. She went about doing the work she was employed to do, and she did it very well. She was hardworking and intelligent, and diligent in her attention to details. Tara had a great desire to do her job well, and when problems arose, to handle them quickly and efficiently. She performed each task she was given with great care, even those that she may have been overqualified to do. Tara understood that the practice of law is a service profession, and she had the perfect demeanor for it. When she was accepted to law school, she came to tell me that she'd be leaving our firm to start as a first year, and I thought how I had certainly underestimated that quiet determination that she had. I also remember in her initial interview that when we were finishing, our office manager asked the question she always concluded an interview with, do you have any questions about the position? Well, I'd been interviewing assistants for about 10 years at that point, and no one had ever asked the question. So I was getting ready to leave, and all of a sudden I heard Tara say, "Well, yes, just a few." And she got out her notebook and she went down a list of very pertinent questions. Well, I sat down thinking, "Wow, good for you! Don't you don't you be afraid to ask those questions, and don't you be intimidated?" What I didn't know about Tara Baker was that she wasn't easily intimidated by anyone or any sensual, any situation. She wasn't intimidated by the fact that the University of Georgia would receive hundreds of applications of qualified students. She knew she had what it took to be accepted. She had the quiet confidence of an intelligent, motivated person who knows how to work hard to achieve their goals and who knew how to make the necessary sacrifices to succeed. I believe Tara lived her life magnificently because she also knew how to love. It was obvious that she loved her family and her friends. She spoke of them often and shared the details of their lives with us in our office. But I think the love she exhibited was a basic love of other people, demonstrated by respect and kindness. I can remember sitting in my office and listening to her at her desk, and just admiring the depth of her patience with clients and the warm greeting she had for everyone, even those that called numerous times a day. I remember thinking, how can you be so nice at the end of the day when you've put in a hard, hard day and answered that phone thousands of times? Yet it never occurred to her to be anything other than cheerful and helpful and always professional. The last time I saw Tara was a few days before her death, and I feel so fortunate to have had the chance to visit with her. That afternoon, I heard the conversation outside my door take on an excited, happy tone, and I knew nobody was working, so I went out to see what was going on, and there was Tara smiling and laughing and catching up with her former co-workers. We had a typical conversation that one might have with a first-year law student. She was worried about her grades. she complained about her professors, and she looked forward to the weekend when she would celebrate her birthday. We laughed about how much her social life would improve when she finished that dreaded first year of law school. It is still inconceivable to me that Tara won't finish her first year of law school, that she won't graduate, practice law, get married, or have a family. The last time I saw her, she was so full of life, full of hope, and full of promise. I find myself thinking about her every day and wondering how to come to terms with her death. I know that won't happen for a long time, but what I do know now about Tara is that her short, precious life was lived magnificently, characterized by the way she worked hard to achieve her goals and distinguished by the loving way she treated others.
0: Thanks for letting me start this episode out by sharing this with you. I just really felt it was important to my mission and our mission to remain focused on Tara, that we reflect not only on how she died and Tara's death, but in the days that followed and how hard those were for her family and friends. And remember that reliving it for this podcast is not easy either. I continually express my gratitude to all parties for their honesty, their bravery, and yes, their emotional strength. With that, when we come back, this week we're going to take a dive into the bit of data you've all been waiting to hear about, the phone records. I have them and I'm finally comfortable in telling you what the facts of their contents have to say about the case. Who was Tara really calling the week of her death? Who was she not calling? And what do the people she spoke to remember about those encounters? Get your notebook ready. We'll be right back. Alright, I have to tell you about Grand Preserve, a place where luxury meets apartment living. Brand new one, two, three bedroom apartments located right at 355 The Preserve Drive here in Athens, Georgia, on the west side just across from Target. Open concept floor plans that we all love, stainless steel appliances, modern looks and feeling. World class amenities in a relaxing atmosphere, minutes from UGA, downtown shopping and dining. Book a tour today and see what they have to offer. Their phone number is 706-503-4900 them an email at leasing at grandpreserve.com. I just want to take a moment to remind you before we dig back into these phone records that you can join our Zoom tomorrow, Friday, with some of Tara's family, her roommates, and Lauren, her former co-worker. They're all going to be on answering your questions, so be sure to get your ticket on our Facebook page under the event section there. You know, when I started combing through Tara's phone records, I've got to admit, I was reminded of just how little people used their phones back in 2001. I mean, now we have them all the time at our disposal, in our hands when we sleep and when we wake. And as you can imagine, Tara's home phone is filled with much more information than her cell phone. Though I do believe Tara's cell phone records do contain vital clues as to the timeline surrounding her death. So what I'm going to do here is remind you of some of the events surrounding each day to help us fill in the gaps a bit and then compare those with the phone records. Now we might have discussed the timeline before but that really pales in comparison to what we have now with the numbers, the calls, the lengths of those calls, and who made them. When you look at these phone records in person, there's one thing that you'll see over and over again. A lot of one-second and zero-second calls indicating the receiving party didn't answer. And again, that's not unusual for 2001 when folks weren't necessarily attached at the hips, or should I say hands, to their phones. So, pins up, let's go. Monday, January 15th, 2001. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so that means Tara nor her roommates had class, and they were actually all at home for lunch. This is something that Valerie actually said was a rare occurrence for them, so it was a nice day. Valerie's mom, while making her own notes about the podcast and the case, thanks Miss Linda, I appreciate you, actually recently remembered a detail that Valerie and Ashley initially told police. They remember Tara getting a call around lunchtime, which is indeed the first notable call of the week. It's from Katie, Tara's law school friend, who was last with Tara at the law library. Now Katie's become a dear friend of mine, and this call came in from her around 12.40pm and lasted around 20 minutes. I asked Katie if she recalled what the conversation was, and of course she couldn't remember, it's been quite a long time. But she did say it probably was some rant or rave about school, which I can totally empathize with. Now, the interesting thing here is that immediately after this call, Tara tried calling her mother, who didn't answer, and then she called her father, who answered, and she spoke to him for 57 minutes at 1.05 p.m. I asked Miss Virginia about this call, and here's what she had to say about her conversations with her husband, Tara's father, Mr. Lindsay.
3: He... I remember when I got home... He told me that um, I was in a meeting that morning, and when I got home, he said, guess what? I got a call from Tara. And I said, oh, was she calling to talk to me? And he said, well, maybe at first, but she wanted to talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) He was like bragging about, she didn't need you. She wanted to talk to me. (laughs) Uh, And it was unusual because Lindsay was not a phone person. I mean, you could tell in his voice the minute you called him, he was trying to think how to get off the phone. He just did not like talking (laughs) on the phone but they talked for a very, very long time, and I know it meant an awful lot to him. Mm -hmm. And when I asked him a little bit about it, he told me that he just got the impression she was homesick, wanted to make a connection with home. And he said they talked about absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And and then the more, you know, if I question him a little bit more about it, he was like, nope, that was my conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it meant a lot to him that I just feel like it was unusual that she would talk that long and mm-hmm. extremely unusual that he would. as Tara was always so busy. She didn't have time for long conversations mm-hmm. very often.
0: Now, after that call, we see a bit of an action on Tara's cell phone and home phone, which is probably the time that Lauren says she stopped by Tara's home on Monday to check in with her. Lauren visits and she leaves and Tara tries calling Katie at 6.42 p.m. That call goes unanswered. And then there's also an introduction of a number that randomly calls Tara often, actually, at 7.13 p.m. Now, just to throw it out there, this number traces back to a guy named Edwin, who we cannot make the connection on. At 7.39 p.m., Tara calls her law firm friend Lauren, who had just been there earlier, and the two chat for about 10 minutes. Lauren says that this call was to let her know that Tara had left her glasses at her place. Here's Lauren. I just wanted to run through a few things with you. So, remind me again what time you went by Tara's house on Monday.
4: It would have been mid to late afternoon. Um, I would have been home that weekend since it was a holiday. That was Martin Luther King Day. Probably 3 to 3.30 would have been when I got there. It was still daylight when I got there. Okay. Um And then it would have been dark when I left. And, and, you know, that's why I left my sunglasses. I didn't need them. I forgot about them. So, uh, but, you know, it gets dark very early that time of year. Right. Uh, right. I don't think I stayed much past probably 6 gotcha. or
0: 6.30. I see that um she called you at around 7.30 that night. Was that probably to tell you you had left your sunglasses?
4: Yes, and she'd bring them to me.
0: At 8 o'clock p.m., that same Edwin guy's number calls Tara again. And after that, she makes a series of calls that went unanswered. And it seems really to me that Tara just wanted to talk on the phone to someone. And to be quite frank, that kind of sounds like me when I get bored. So to all the people I call constantly, I'm sorry, but please pick up. I hate leaving voicemails. Anyway, I really do love to talk on the phone, but she tried calling Chris twice. He didn't answer. She tried calling her home. They didn't answer. She tried calling her mom and dad's cell phone. No luck there. She finally, though, at 8.12, gets in touch with a friend from Milledgeville who she actually talks with for 87 minutes. Well, I thought that was something to look into. Maybe there was something there. Maybe something was weighing heavy on her heart that led her to have this long conversation. Turns out that wasn't exactly the case, but Meredith spoke to this woman, and I got to catch up with Meredith, and she told me about what this 87-minute phone call was like.
5: So I called this young woman, and um, I spoke to her, not as long as Sarah did, but a good while. Um, and she said that this conversation took place probably about after eight o'clock, which we know, um, given the phone records. And she said it was a blissful 87 minutes uninterrupted of just a good old catch up between friends. Um, they spoke about so many things. Um, This young lady had recently gotten married, and Tara, in her 23 years of wisdom, apparently imparted uh, marital advice to her, Mm -hmm. and um, they just caught up on everything they caught up about on um, how Ashley was doing as they were all sorority sisters together, and um, she just said it was a, a fantastic phone call, and she's so glad that she had it, and for so long, but she did say on multiple occasions throughout my conversation with her that it was a full 87 uninterrupted minutes of a conversation with Tara.
0: But nothing was wrong, nothing was awry, nothing? No,
5: she said Tara seemed happy. They talked about Chris and how they were, you know, thinking about marriage, but, you know, obviously Tara wanted to finish law school first and get that under her belt, Um, and she said it was just a a nice long conversation where they just caught up with each other's lives because it had been a while since they had spoken.
0: That call ends, Tara and Katie play phone tag again, Tara calls Chris twice, she gets on her computer at 10.13pm for about 17 minutes and that's Monday. Remember, it was a holiday, therefore every single phone record for the 15th comes directly from Tara's home phone. There are no cell records for January 15th. All right. I hope you're still with me. We'll get through this together, I promise. Keep your notes going. Here we are. On Tuesday, January 16th, 2001, that morning, Tara misses her call on her home phone from someone at Fortson, Bentley, and Griffin at around 9.06 a.m. Keep in mind, she doesn't work there at this time, but she is still planning a birthday celebration with some of them for Friday night, with a group that includes Lauren and the attorney we've talked about quite a bit. At 9.12 a.m., Tara also misses a call from Chris on the home phone. As for Tara's cell phone records for around this time on Tuesday, there are about six blocks with no number on it from about 9 a.m. until 12 noon. I'm not sure what that means. Are the phone records redacted? Are there texts? I'm not really sure. Regardless, the activity picks back up and is identifiable around 12.27 p.m. on Tuesday when Tara calls the attorney we've discussed. She then tries calling Lauren, her law firm friend, twice, and I asked Lauren about these calls too. She says it was much later in the day when Tara actually dropped by the law firm and had that meeting we now know of with the young attorney in his office. Here's Lauren again. So she called you around lunchtime on Tuesday? Was that when she dropped by, you think, or was it maybe just her? No, she
4: came after class. It was later, much later in the day, because Mm -hmm. that was the last time I saw her. Mm-hmm. She came and brought me to sunglasses today. We talked a little bit. She chatted with everyone, you know, there in our little our little group and then she went upstairs and I went to sign out. Mm-hmm. So that and walked by his office door. At eight
0: forty three PM Tara's back at home and calls Chris. They talked for fifteen minutes on his parents line and Tuesday is done. Now we're on Wednesday, just two days before Tara Louise Baker was murdered. On this morning, Tara appears to be at home for a bit making some calls and she makes a few calls to different offices at the University of Georgia, which from my searches appear to be to the Office of Student Affairs and to the IT department. She also makes a quick call to the United States Postal Service around 6.46 a.m. on her home phone and then appears to leave her house for the day. Now, I do want to say this quick note, Tara had gotten a letter from her biological father and that did upset her that he had found her. I wonder if that's why she was calling USPS. It's something Miss Virginia and I talked about, but of course, we'll never be able to verify that if only Tara could speak to us. Tara seems to return back home, though, around 4.39, and she again tries to call the post office. She then calls her mother, and they talk for 53 minutes around 4.42 p.m. And this is actually a pivotal conversation that I asked Miss Virginia and Meredith about this week. Tara called you on Wednesday, and I know Meredith answered the phone, and you actually talked to her for nearly an hour at that time. First of all, this is the last time you spoke to her, is that right?
3: That is correct.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you tell us what you remember about that conversation, anything important about it?
3: Well, she we talked about just about everything at first, but the most important thing she called about, she was extremely alarmed that she had gotten a letter from her biological father Mm -hmm. had been forwarded to her address Mm -hmm. and her words to me were mama he's found me again i know it sounds odd but there are reasons that she did not want to have much to do with him Mm -hmm. and She was concerned about it, and then I said, "Well, honey, I don't know how exactly that happened." And she said, "Well, I'm going to find out." And she said, "I, I've called, I've looked on the computer, I've done everything, and you can see my new address. There's, she's, there's a dot right over it on the map." And she was very concerned, and I said to her, "Honey, please try not to worry so much because God has had His hands on you all your life, and." He's going to keep you safe. And, of course, that haunts me now that I told her that because I did not know this evil was coming into her life. On a brighter note, we talked about her birthday, and she said, do you mind terribly if I don't come home the weekend of her birthday? She said that her friends were having a party for her. She And I had the impression from talking to her that she was going to meet at different times mm-hmm. with people from the firm and people from law school because I did not think they were crossover friends sure. and I got the impression it was going to be two different meetings but mm-hmm. I may be wrong but that's just was the impression that I had from talking with her and I told her no that that was okay it didn't matter you know we could celebrate her birthday the following weekend and we did we were planning on it. We Meredith bought her a card and some other things, but that of course never happened. But we had made plans. And then she would talk a little bit about, you know, different things well, she said school, you know, was very difficult. It was a little harder than she had expected, and she was really having to do more studying. And she talked, to, you know, about her friends at law school. about, And, you know, of course, she always mentioned Katie and Ginny, mm-hmm. and she talked about Becca and different ones that had become friendly, really good friends with her, and about her, you know, the... Um, meetings that she hosted at her house mm-hmm. and she said there were you know a lot of people that came including one student that kind of made her uncomfortable but she didn't seem really that alarmed about that at all mm-hmm. Tara was a very pretty girl and she was used to guys mm-hmm. giving her a lot of attention to the point that when she first started law school, she told me she started pulling her hair back in a ponytail and not wearing any makeup at all because she didn't want anybody to look at her or give her trouble. She just wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> And I found that very amusing. And some of her friends mentioned to me that with that hair in the ponytail, she they she reminded them of... Winnie the Pooh character Tigger because Tara had a bounce in her walk and when she bounced that ponytail would flop up and down but she did bounce I know that everywhere she went and then but she said there was a particular attorney there that was kind of giving her a lot of attention and she said she was flattered by it and she said she appreciated him that you know he was had helped her with a lot of things and she appreciated him mentoring her and helping her with things and she was very flattered but she was a little bit concerned and i said well honey why exactly are you concerned if you really you know she had already told me he was charming and handsome and you know just really really sweet to her and kind and extremely charming and i said I mentioned to her because I knew at the time. I think she and was having. I know she and Chris were dating, but they were kind of on and off a little bit mm-hmm. in that time period, and I wasn't sure where that was going. So I said, "Well, honey, if he's really that nice and you're interested, why don't you maybe give it a chance?" And she just got real quiet, and she said, "Mother, he's married." <laughs> And I thought, well, how was I supposed to know that?
0: <laughs> After that very important call, the last time she talks to her mother, we see her home phone light up again around 7 p.m. when Chris tries calling her. And she misses that call and a call shortly thereafter from some attorneys named Powers and Gurren. Now, I'm not sure what that means, but I'm working on that. Now, Tara missed Chris's call at 7 o'clock, but she calls him back at 7.43 before getting on her computer for the evening at 7.46 p.m. Again, on Wednesday, there's no cell phone activity, just the home phone. We've now reached the day before the murder. Thursday the 18th, the day that quite a bit happened and probably the most important day we have in regards to the phone records and Tara's movements that we know of from witnesses and friends. Tara misses a call from a local business at 1125 a.m., and then again, that Edwin guy's number calls again at 239 p.m. We see some cell phone activity from Tara around 4.07 p.m., and she tries calling both Lauren and the attorney twice. On the 18th, it looks like she called you and the attorney both back to back around the same time. Um, do you remember what that was about or if she had got, actually got in contact with you?
4: I don't remember. I would have been at work at mm-hmm. that time. I know I was at work. <sighs> It looks like, I believe she she called my home number, and I would not have been at home. Of course, I was sitting, I think I was sitting at the front desk.
0: Yeah, it looks like home and cell.
4: And then she called my cell phone. And at that time, you know, we have said so many times before, you just didn't keep Mm -hmm. your cell phone on you. It would have been in my purse, in my desk drawer. So... I'm guessing I missed both those calls, and I'm sure that was more of us trying to – we had been playing phone tag, trying to coordinate, finalize the plans for Friday because we had changed up locations, and we had been kind of playing phone tag, and I don't think I talked to her. I think we kept missing the call. We kept Mm -hmm. missing each other. Yeah, I think that is what I'm saying. was at work. She was in class, you know, I was at work and it was, we were just missing each other. If she called the office, I probably would have picked, you know, I would have been able to, mm-hmm. to pick mm-hmm. right up. Now that, it looks like that number she called to the attorney was his direct line at the um
0: Got it. Got it. I see. Tara's home at 4.33 on Thursday as she talked to Chris for 22 minutes before calling him on his father's phone a few more times around 5.16. Well, first of all, Chris, how are you doing? Good to talk to you. I know we got to meet in person. That was pretty great. Uh, good to talk to you again, man. Yes,
6: sir. Same here. It's a pleasure. Yeah. It's a, I'm, so, I'm so happy to, uh, to put a face with the with name.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, I see that you and Tara had typical conversations. It looks like your conversations usually ended not too late at night. It looks like Tara's night usually ended with her on her computer, I'm going to guess, studying. Um, but, you know, there's there's this average pattern of you both talking until about 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night and then, you know, doing, studying or whatever. Um, but specifically, there was a string of calls that you all had at... Four thirty ish on thursday so thursday afternoon the day before the fire do you remember anything about those calls um and and what you might have talked about with tara
6: you know what they were pleasant conversations um normal mm-hmm. she uh she talked about you know her day school what she was getting to that evening as far as studying and talked about my day And uh, how Monday had gone, and normal seas like that, but um, you know, nothing really out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, we have a witness that talks about Tara maybe shopping um, around the time of five o'clock ish, Um, and there is a break in your phone conversation from around four fifty-five to five sixteen. Do you remember anything about her going shopping that afternoon or going to the grocery store or what she might have been doing there? Yes.
6: Yes, I do. Um, I do recall actually being on the phone with her. And there was a point in time she had, she was either coming in contact with or she was approaching uh, a fellow classmate, um, you know, one of her girlfriends. Um, And we kind of, you know, we kind of got the phone and, said her goodbyes and, you know, I love yous and and so forth and, um, and I left it at that so, um, uh, I do recall her running across someone that evening mm-hmm.
0: right after that afternoon. Um, and did you know she was going to study at the library that night? Yes. Okay. And one more question I have for you, Chris. Did, um, did she ask you to come over that night since she was going to be alone anything like that or what, what was y'all's next plan or move as to seeing one another?
6: No, we, um, we were looking forward to that weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I was heavy into work, um, trying to get things called up. I was obligated to to make, you know, get things completed. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was, she was hard in studies. Um, and I knew she was going to be in the library that evening late. Uh, so it just didn't work out for us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously we like we should have, but we weren't, we didn't have any plans mm-hmm. uh, to get together that evening we were really anxious for the weekend mm-hmm. but um but no sir she didn't she didn't ask me to come over and i wasn't expected to
0: mm-hmm.
6: we uh we knew where we were and we both had responsibilities we had to take care of
0: and when you didn't hear from her after the law library i mean you didn't have any concern because that was i mean it, i mean on paper it's pretty much your normal routine right yes sir
6: okay that's normal for us like we you know we we kind of handle things very a you know, for as really young as we were, I would say, is we handled our business and we knew that we both had responsibilities and as you know, so we settled in for the evening and felt comfortable with that, we we carried on. And uh, we're
0: So let's think about that. She calls him at 4.33, calls him back at 5.16. There's a break in here which perfectly fits for Tara to have gone to the Walmart, as the witness reported, located not far from her home and recently built. Tara doesn't talk on the phone again until 6.26 and then around 7 connects with her computer, which we can assume is connecting at the UGA library with Katie and Eugenia. So this part of the timeline really adds up. There are two more of those blank squares, though, for 6.29 and 7.07 p.m. on Tara's cell phone that I can't identify. But the last thing we see on Tara's phone records, the last known call Tara Baker made according to the documents I have looking at both her cell phone and her home phone records, was to her law school friend Katie Lonstein at 9.46 p.m. when she called her from her cell making sure Katie had made it home safely. So we can assume then Tara made it home sometime after 9.46 p.m. But for the rest of the night, there's no other home or cell phone activity, no computer activity connecting to the internet. I asked Lauren about this because I couldn't find that eleven PM call she missed from Tara nor the calls early the next morning that she said she returned. And she was very happy to address this for me when we caught up today. The last person that I have Tara calling either on her home or her phone records is the nine forty three call to Katie. Any anything on that?
4: Well, I mean she called me and it was something I discussed with the detectives. Mm-hmm. Um I remember it being on my phone. I woke up the next that Friday morning early and saw it and that's what prompted me to start trying to call her back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we've said, I, <sighs> cell phones, you know, were so primitive then. Right. Um I just I don't know if the records don't show if the call was not picked up, if it wasn't I, I just don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but I know that she Somebody called me from her number. hmm
0: hmm So, here's the bigger bombshell about the phone records. Both Tara's cell phone and home phone were very active on Friday, the day of the fire, after the fire was discovered. Now, I can tell you that I have learned from several sources that some of that is due to get this firefighters and police on the scene breaking protocol and using Tara's phones to call home and to call people. But what else do you see? Some unusual laptop activity that will raise your eyebrows yet again about another person of interest we've probably already discussed. A person of interest whose laptop was taken from a certain law firm. A laptop which I have now heard from an attorney was searched by him, unknowing to the attorney in question, and nothing of note seemed to return, but we know Tara and him were emailing on January 9th, 2001. You know who he is. All of this and more next time on Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron J. co-produced and designed by Kyle Kazaya. Make sure to visit our website, classiccitycrime.com, where you can sign up for our insider's email list and check out more information on the case. Additionally, we encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, at Classic City Crime. And as always, please reach out to us if you could be of any help on this case or some of the others we're going to be looking at very soon. Yes, we're not stopping here. Season two coming 2021. We'll see you right back here next week.